If you guys want to turn to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, um, it's a short uh, message, I think. We'll see what the Lord does. Um, but I'm excited about, I love 1 John. You can't get enough. When you're reading it, it's like, oh, you got to read it again. It's just one of those type of books. It's, it's so good. Um, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, John is talking about how God is light. And then in, in uh, chapter 3 and 4, John talks about how God is love. And in chapter 5, he's talking about how God is life. And, and uh, so John dealt in chapter 1 about uh, just that true joy that we have, and it's in Christ Jesus. And he talked about that fellowship, and that only comes from the Lord, right? And, and true joy, it's only through Jesus Christ and him alone that, that we can even have true joy, right? It's because he forgave us of our sins, removing that record that was against us. And it was because of his blood shed for us. And, and so truly there is joy in the believer's life, right? So we're going to talk about the test of knowing him. Let's go ahead and look at chapter 2 if you're there with me. First John chapter 2. Let's go through verses 1 through 11. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he also walked. Brethren, I write write no new commandment. To you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true, and in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we're going to cover, really in verses 1 through 3, we see three things here. In verses Uh, One and two, we see the topic of sin, the topic of sin. And then secondly, we see the topic of obedience. That's going to be in verses three through six. And then last, we're going to see the topic of love. Uh, That's going to be in verses seven through 11. Let's deal with the first section here, dealing with sin. Let's go back to verse one. Uh, one and two, notice, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So springing from verse 10, John gives us 
the purpose in verse 1 for the reason why he's writing this letter, right? Go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, therefore, right, in verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So, uh, that's the purpose, so that you may not sin, right? Then if you do sin, know that God has uh, a plan for your sinfulness, right? Both ideas, they must be maintained, and the thoughts, they, they must be balanced here. So that you may not sin, speaking of acts of sin, the, the habitual lifestyle of sin, and not, not shoot for sinning less or less often, but the idea here is not sinning at all, right? Uh, that's the idea. And there's, there's those who, you know, you, you run a race, and you're running a race, and you're, you're, your eyes are on, on the prize, right? You're, you're, you're set for the finish line, and out of nowhere, boom, you stumble and you fall. There's, so there's those in their Christian walk who stumble and they fall, and, and that's going to happen, right? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to fall short of God's glory, of God's... Uh, standard which is perfection but there's those who just they don't stumble they just look at sin it's enticing and then they follow after it and they go for it with all their heart it's not a stumbling block at all there's no fight there's no war it's just they oh look at that and then they go sit down when they're running a race and it's like what are you doing get up let's get going (laughs) right come on we're running a race and, and, uh, but they just sin. So there's a clear distinction of those who are in a lifestyle of sin, who are choosing a habitual lifestyle. I mean, it's sad. I, I see it. Um, and what breaks me is those who should know better, those who are in ministry, they, they, they take sin lightly. When sin should grieve us, right? When you hear about it, it, sh- it should bring pain to your heart, right? When you hear about a person who is in sin, because they are choosing to be an enemy of the Lord. The Lord is your friend, right? He's our best friend. He's our father. Why would you choose to go against your, your father, right? And, and so it should grieve us when we hear about people doing these things. But it doesn't mean we, we make it to perfection, right? Um, in 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 8. It says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Look down at verse 10. It says, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So he's not going to uh, there's no cause for stumbling in him, right? In fact, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. John is making a simple point that once we confess our sins, just like in chapter 1 of 1 John verse 9, it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just Right to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness that he is able to, to, to forgive you of. Isn't that great? And, and does that mean that we're perfect and without sin? No, we're not perfect and without sin. Uh, John is showing us we are forgiven from our sin, right? But not perfect from sin, right? 
So rather, sin has no power or no longer under, we're, we're no longer under, under the dominion and power of sin in that sense, right? So you are not in bondage to, you're not a slave of sin. And, and you're not, you are not made to sin. Do you guys get the idea there? You are not made to sin. You were made to glorify the Lord in perfection, in a beautiful state, right? Adam and Eve, it was a wonderful time. Sin entered in, broke fellowship with the Lord. And, and thus, it's still breaking fellowship with the Lord. We were not created to sin, and yet we're, 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 uh, we're experts at sin. Right? You think of the investment that we've given in our life to sin. Count up all the hours that you sin. You guys are professionals. <laughs> Congratulations, you rebels, right? <laughs> Myself included, right? Which is sad to say. But you're not in bondage, right? Or a slave to sin. And Jesus has come to enable us, to empower us, to overcome sin. And, and it's to say no to being a slave to sin. And only Jesus can do this in our lives, right? It's, nothing, some, it's not something we can conjure up in our own life. It's not by our own strength, our own power. It's not by, you know, only it, maybe if I fast this long from, you know, sin in general, I'll be per- perfect, you know. No, there's nothing we can do to be perfected from sin, but we can look to the one who is perfect, right? And, and he, th- through you, will keep you in perfect peace. He'll, he'll keep you in, a, he, what is it, Jude 24. He keeps us. I love that, right? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of him. It's just, it's a beautiful picture of only what Christ can do in and through our lives. But it's Christ who can do it, right? Amen? Uh, was it Philippians 4.13, right? It's, I can do all things through myself, right? Self-esteem, me, myself, and I. No, it's, it's Jesus. It's only through Christ Jesus that anything can be accomplished. Are you guys there in Romans chapter 6? Look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust." And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall, ha- shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Amen to that, right, church? Are you guys grateful for that? Um, so you see, you're not under the law because you died, right? If this was the courtroom, you went in and you robbed the bank and you ended up dying doing it, they're not going to drag your corpse over here to the judge and say, Judge, this is what, and the judge says, that's it, 20 years in prison, right? <laughs> what? That's just dumb. It's the same thing when you as a Christian think that you're under the law. See, the law has no part in your life as a believer. The law is what brought you to Christ. It's the schoolmaster that led you to Christ, right? Now it's, it's the Lord who does his work in and through your life. You're under grace. You're no longer under condemnation, right? You're under grace, that free gift, that unmerited favor, getting what you don't deserve, right? You and I. So it's a beautiful thing, but you see, 
Paul says in the beginning of, of chapter 6, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to obey it in its lust, right? Why? Why? Do I, I see so many people that uh, they cry and they, they, they'll talk about their sin and, and really they're, they're, they're doing the Winnie the Pooh, you know, the, the donkey guy, oh, I forget his name now, the Eeyore, thank you. They, 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 they do the Eeyore about their own life, right? About sin and look at me and my sin and woe is me and look at me and oh, me. Keep looking at me, by the way. And, and they don't realize, but that's part of pride. Pride can creep in there to get you talking about yourself and woe is me and look at me, everybody, and pray for me, look at me. And, and they don't realize they're doing that, but pride keeps you blind from your lifestyle, right? Of what you're doing. You know what the Bible says when you're reading Romans? It's talking about declaring a war. Do you guys know what a war is? You declare war, and and that's till the death, right? Something's got to die. It's either going to be you, or it's going to be the enemy. And if you look at sin as the enemy, and you now you can rightfully declare war, right? But if you're coming in saying, hey, this is war, and then you're flirting with sin, and you're like, hey, sin, I really like you, though, so I really don't want to offend you, right? That's like the churches today. They go to the world, and they're like, hi, world, we want to give you the gospel, but we don't want to offend you. I'm sorry, the gospel is offensive. <laughs> Why? What's the gospel? What's the good news of what? What's what? There's got to be a contrast in order for it to be good, and what's what, what makes it so good? Well, because it, 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 there's it overcomes sin, right? The cross. The cross is the death penalty that you and I deserve. We deserve death. But we look at God's judgment. We look at what he's done on the cross for you and I. And, and it's a beautiful thing. David said in Psalm something, he says that seven days a week, he observes mercy. He observes God's judgment. His, his, he says his righteous judgment. And I love that. You look at the judgments that God has done. Everything that God does is good. It's right, right? He, he will not tell you to do something that is wrong. He won't give you as much as you can't handle. And what he's given you is himself. He's given you everything that we need for life and godliness, right? And he's given us the instructions for it. Right here, it's the word of God. And it, the word of God is what we are to keep and dear to our hearts, right? And to know him. And so... Declare war, right? Allow God to do a work in and through your life. Uh, uh, and look at Romans. Skip down if you're still there in chapter 6 of Romans. Look at verse 18. It says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Right? Amen to that. No longer are you about the law where it's like, oh, I have to because I am overwhelmed by this condemnation of, you know, I got to get this done. But now you're under grace and now you're a slave, no, you're a bond slave, if you will, right? You freely choose to be a slave to do things that are righteous, right? And, and now it's a get to, I get to go to church, right? I get to read the word. I get to fellowship. I get to serve the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing. But when it's under the law, 
It's, oh, I have to. <laughs> That's what a slave is, right? But no longer does Christ call us a slave and a servant, but he calls us a friend. We've entered into that fellowship, that koinonia, right, with the Lord. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. So does that mean that we always make the right choice, right? No, it doesn't. We, we, we fall, we, we can choose to sin or choose not to sin, right? So sin, realize sin breaks fellowship with God. And, and sin's a horrible thing. In fact, it breaks fellowship, meaning you're praying, you're like, hey, Lord, by the way, blah, 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 and here's my request and this and that. It's, it's empty. That, those of you who are seasoned in your walk with the Lord, you understand there's none, there, that, that uh, what is it called? That unction is gone, right? That, that power is just gone. That, that knowing that God is there and, and you're, it's, you're, in, you're in a, it's like a pure state of mind, that, that pure, uh, that relationship, it's, it's gone, right? It's almost like fighting with your spouse, in a sense. Have you guys ever felt, no, I don't, no never mind. It's a bad analogy. But, but anybody, anybody you're fighting with, right? You love them really much, a whole lot, and then you guys are fighting over something silly, but it's hard to go up to them and just have that easy fellowship. You can't easily talk to them because you broke fellowship, Right? My son Malachi, he messes up stuff all the time. He gets in trouble. I get up to your room, right? He's like, <laughs> and then I have to come up to him and be like, Malachi. And I love it. The first thing I instruct him is, I love you. Hey, look at me in the eyes. I love you. And he does, and then, and then he just breaks down, right? <laughs> right? Because he realizes he's breaking that fellowship when he chooses to do wrong. You're not going to be a part of us, buddy. You're not going to be able to do the things that we get to do because you're doing the things that, are, that we don't want to do, right? The things that are wrong. We don't want you to be disobedient. We want you to be obedient. And that's the same thing with the Lord. He wants us to, he instructs us in the way that we should go, right? His ways are true. His ways are pure. His ways are right right? And he is the life, right? He's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the life that he gives is abundance if we would choose to follow. But do we always follow every day? No. See, what we're called to do every day is what? Die. In Mark, in the book of Mark, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. You're not worthy unless you do that. But how many times do we do that, Lord? Just, you know, one time, the day I gave my life to you, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Right? 30 years ago? No, he says daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. And some Christians, they're like, yeah, I did that last week, but, you know, I'm taking a, this week off right now. And guess what happens? You backslide, don't you? You begin to compromise, and you're doing things, and then you look, and you're like, how did I get over here? It's because sin has an impact in your life. It breaks fellowship with God. And you don't realize it, but you're at war with God. And I always look at Moses. God says, He's doing amazing stuff with Moses, right? He's all, he's all, Moses, here's the Ten Commandments. Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him, you know, I am sent you. And he's saying all this great stuff, doing this wonderful, Moses is coming down the mountain, right? And, and all of a sudden, in the path, is the angel with the sword, flaming sword, and he's going to kill Moses. What? He just instructed Moses, go down, go do all this, and then he's going to kill him? What is that? And his wife is like, you dummy. <laughs> you didn't circumcise your son. And, and it was like, you know, to me, it's like an eye opener. Like, God, yes, he's given us a calling, 
But if you choose not to be obedient to the things he's called you to, then you're in sin. You're, you're not walking with him. You're not in fellowship with him. So that fellowship is a beautiful thing. And, and that is what we are to fight for, right? Um, don't fight for sin. Fight for the Lord. And so when we do sin, John now encourages us to turn to Jesus Christ really for two reasons. Go back to, with me to 1 John. The first reason is because he is our advocate. Notice in verse 1, he's our advocate. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when we fall down, we have a choice to make, right? And he is our advocate. That word advocate is parakletos, right? Used five times in the New Testament. One who is called alongside of another to intercede on another's behalf, right? To defend them as it pertains to their actions, right? So he's uh, uh, an, an, a, a, a defense attorney, I guess you could call him, right? And so what is he doing? He's standing there for us. He's standing in the gap on our behalf in what is good for us, right? But you got another person over there on your behalf for what is evil and for what is bad. And he's the accuser of the brethren, Satan. He stands at the throne of God and he's accusing you of the things that you've done. But guess what? That record can't be found. (laughs) It's been blotted away with the blood of Christ. And so God reminds him, hey, Jesus, right? I died for his sins, right? Her sins. She's mine. He's mine. And, and it's so cool to see, get the picture here. Um, Jesus uses this word, by the way, in John chapter 14, verse 26. Um, and he says, but the helper, right? The Paracletus, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, right, to defend us, to watch over us, to guide us, to lead us, to instruct us by what? By convicting us of our sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? Don't do that, right? Or you should be doing this instead. And, and so it's pretty awesome. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Go to your left a little bit, a couple pages. Hebrews chapter 9. Um, understand When we sin, we need a defense attorney. And we can't justify ourselves before God, by the way. We need someone to stand between us and the judge. Since sin separates us from God, right? You can't stand for yourself and justify yourself. God desires fellowship with us, right? And that's so important. John, or Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24, it says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So there it is. In fact, skip down to go to chapter 7, a page over to your left, verse 24. It says, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost, right, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
We need a, a defense attorney. And Jesus is interceding for you and I, even now. He's interceding on our behalf. Isn't that cool? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, I love that. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, if you're still there um, in Romans, it says, Who is he who condemns? We know the accuser of the brethren Satan, right? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So it's the Lord doing that work. The, the, you know, Satan's condemning Christ is, 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 is there and he's for you. He's interceding on our behalf, right? And he stands in the gap for you and I, right? He suffered. He died for you and I. And, and why can Jesus Christ be our advocate? Go back to 1 John. Look at verse 1. It's because he is the righteous one. Isn't that great? He is able to do this because he is the righteous one. I don't know any other righteous one. There is no other righteous one. In fact, if you read in Isaiah chapter 40 to 50, if you read the last 10 chapters of Job, if you read... Uh, Man, the Bible, <laughs> there is no other, right? God even says, there is no other. I've looked, there's, there is none. There's none like me. He's a God and there is no other besides him. He's, there's no, nothing like the Lord. Um, secondly, it's because he is our propitiation. Look at verse 2 of First John chapter 2. It says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Propitiation means a covering, a satisfaction, a, a payment that is due. So it's used again, by the way, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so it carries the idea of Jesus Christ carrying our sins for us. Right? He, he shows mercy to all of us, right? Um, and he's not giving us the judgment that we deserve. And it's pretty, pretty amazing. His death on the cross, he appeased the wrath of God toward our sins. Without Christ, guys, we're doomed, right? We have nothing. We are nothing apart from Christ. So understand, sin, our sin, brings the wrath of God against us. And church... We're adopted. So if anything, open your eyes, right? Be, be alert and, and realize what God, God is God, right? What, don't play around. Don't mess around with him. He's, he's serious in his doings. He's just. He's righteous. He's, he's holy. And he will act in his holiness. And it's pretty, pretty amazing, the God we serve. So Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, right? He forgave us of all our sin. All our sin. Amen, church? Amen? Amen? Amen. 
Um, appeasing God's wrath. It's not because of our good works, by the way. It's not because of our performance. It's not because of who we are. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone, right? And what he did on the cross. This is not only for us that our sins are taken away, but it's also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that great? If they accept his terms that he would take our place, right? But understand prideful people they can't do that right they can't accept his work on the cross and that would be it no it's not enough for them because they're prideful they're all about themselves they have to buy it they have to pay for it they have to do some type of work in order to get to heaven and that's why religions are so popular right they're all popular because they get to do something and they get to feel a sense of accomplishment that they get to go to heaven but they're in for a big reality right a check in a sense but we christianity it's god who came to us he who for, he first loved us isn't that cool so everyone's allowed in heaven if they want to right everybody is the whole world's allowed but it's if they want to and uh, the whole world's not going to though but jesus died for the whole world but does that mean that the whole world's going to be saved no right why because the whole world will not receive or believe in who jesus christ is that he is the satisfaction if you will or the appeasement of sin and so the only sin that will not be forgiven is the sin of rejection the rejecting christ jesus and who he is that he's the son of god right and and what he did on the cross for you and i in fact in john chapter 3 um you guys all know this so I should just quote it, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. There it is. And this is the condemnation that the light that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in god isn't that great so go back to first john I love how the Bible just, it, it, it's its own commentary. It's great. I don't have to explain anything. There it is. Um, so, obedience. So let's come to the second thing. We're going to go over three things. The first was pretty huge. The second is not so big. And then the third is very small. So, obedience in verse 3 through 6. This idea of obedience involves Jesus Christ. It involves knowing him and abiding in him. In fact, look at verse 3. It says, now by this we know, notice we know, that we know him if we keep his commandments. In fact, look at verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar the truth's not in him verse 5 but whoever keeps his word truly the love of god is perfected in him by this we know 
that we are in him. In fact, look at verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So the key is simple. It's about knowing Christ, right? It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And how can you and I be sure that we know him? Well, the Bible is very clear by being obedient toward him, right? So we keep his word. It, though This obedience is seen in two ways in verses 3 through 6. The first is as it pertains to his commands. As it pertains to his commands in verses 3, 4, and 5. How do we know we're born again? It's if we keep his commands, right? In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John chapter 14, verse 23. And so, in fact, turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, about a page or two over. Look at verse 2. It says, by this we know, notice, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So it's not how hard or harsh uh, Obeying his commands, they're not difficult. In fact, it's impossible, right? In and of ourselves, we cannot obey God's commands. Understand this. Most of the time, if you want to admit it, we don't even want to obey God in and of our own flesh, right? So we need to be obedient to his commands since we are not, they're not burdensome, right? His commands. Uh, the the help we need is found, by the way, in the grace of God. Uh, the only way we can obey God is by the grace of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, that's where I get it from, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for what? For obedience to what? To the faith among all nations for his name. So we need his grace in order to be obedient. Apart from his grace, we can't be obedient. In other words, you've got to know him. If you don't know Christ, you've never entered into a personal relationship with Christ, then you can't even keep his commands because you're trying to work in any of your own flesh. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again, right? And, and so being saved, it changes your perspective, really. You don't have to do, you get to do, right? And it's a matter of motive because it really, if you want to narrow it down, you're like, wow, 613 commandments, there's 365, um, uh, you know, do, don'ts, right? So, uh, and then there's 248 do's. And by the way, the do's and don'ts, it's not about don't do this, don't do, you know, like don't touch that. Why? Why do we as parents give rules to our kids? Because we love them and we want to keep them alive, right? They're, they're all fire and you're all, no, don't touch the fire, right? Why do we do it? Because we love them. Why has God given us commandments? Because he loves us. The commandments are not for him, they're for you. He wants you to be obedient to him. So there's no way that we can do that, right? And, and so, but if we are obedient to him, he enables us and empowers us to perform what is good through us because it's the Holy Spirit in us performing what he wants to do through us, right? So you'll be blessed, by the way, if you obey 
God's commands. Um, so what are those? Love God and love others. Very, very simple, right? It's not speaking of the Ten Commandments. You can narrow it all down to those two. So obedience not only is seen through his commands, but it, secondly, it's all, it also pertains to his example. His example. Uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 6. It says, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So what's the proof that Christ is in our lives? That we are born again? What's, what is it? Well, that we obey his commands and that we also follow his example. Those are the two things. You can't do this, by the way, unless you die. You gotta die. If you're not dead, you can't live. You've got to be alive to Christ, not alive to yourself, right? That's pride. And, and if you have that pride, you, he won't grant you that grace to live and to accomplish what is good. You, you have nothing, but you have everything if it's in him, right? So um, Jesus Christ, he's our perfect model, right? Of, he was a humble servant, and what do people say of you guys? Do, do they say you're a servant? In fact, in 1 Peter, it says in chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So what kind of example did he set for you and I? Well, he was a servant. If you guys remember in John chapter 13, what did he do? He girded his waist, and he went up to the upper room, took that tail, right? It began to wash the feet of the disciples. And think about that. The, the sustainer of life washing the feet of his creation. I mean, talk about the lowest of lows. Who is, he's the highest of highs, and he's serving his own creation. And that doesn't make sense at all, right? Um, but he said he does these things that we should follow him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Walk as he walked. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 in verse 3, it says, let, Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceits, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. You guys know what? I didn't even realize it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, right? I should have been giving like a, we should be thankful study. And I, as I was praying, I was, it was, this is what the Lord had in store. So if you guys are like, man, this is really not a Thanksgiving study, <laughs> I apologize. But it, it really is when you consider what Christ has done on the cross, right, ultimately. So we looked at sin in verses 1 and 2 and obedience in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And now he deals with love. Oh, there we go. Don't you guys love, love, love? I love love, right? Uh, in verses 7 through 11, he talks about two things. Number one, our commandments, right? In verses 7 through 8, and it's in very, very interesting in how he describes love, by the way. Keep an eye on, 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 on how he's describing love in verses 7 through 8. Uh, let's just read it. It says, 
Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So notice it's not commandments, plural, but rather commandment, singular, right? I think that's the key in helping us understand these verses, by the way. Is there an old commandment or a new commandment? I mean, come on, which is it? Well, it's both of them, right? Uh, Understand, both are true. The old commandment points to love, singular, right? In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that's the old commandment. What does it say? Well, to love your neighbor as yourself. And how many of you guys love yourself? You all do, right? Ephesians chapter 5, it says, it says uh, no man ever hated himself, right? You all love yourself. And so verse 8, there's the new commandment. It's not chronological, by the way. It's not numer- numerical. It is, it's literal. In, in other words, uh, it's, it's fresh, is, is the best description I can give right here. It means fresh. So taking the old and interpreting it in a new way. So let me show you guys. Turn back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And look at verse 34. Jesus says here in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But notice this, and underline this, not just love one another, but notice the next part, right? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we can't love one another in and of ourselves, right? That's very obvious, But as he loved them, right? So what makes it fresh is that we love others as Christ loves others others right and as he loves us the spiritual sacrifice it's that spiritual um agape right that's the word for love and and it's unconditional it's not hey if you do the dishes then i'll love you right (laughs) it's not if you do this then i no there is no result it's i love you no matter what Right? I was just talking about my son, Malachi, and he does all this bad stuff. I tell him I love him, and that just means the whole world to him. Because it breaks his heart that he's breaking that love, that fellowship, right? Because he's choosing to do whatever he wants to do. But he's like, he's only four years old. What do you expect? <laughs> so inwardly, I'm dying and laughing. You know, it's hilarious the things he does. But I don't want to show him that. I want to show him that it's, you know, don't do that. Right? I don't want to laugh. But we, it's the same thing. God says, hey, I love you. I love you. But, but, but I just, but I love you. And it's all, right? It breaks you. And no wonder his goodness, his kindness is what led us to salvation. Right? It was his love for you and I. He first loved us. What is love? Well, that it would lay it down as his own life for us right? That we would enter into fellowship with him. He brought us in, and he continues to bring us in daily. Isn't that cool? It's just, it's amazing. So no matter how they treat us or wrong us, we love them, right? This love is not based on our performance. 
uh, it's not based on ourselves, it's based on him. And so that's what makes this new command fresh. Um, secondly, it's our conduct. So first was our commandment in verses 7 and 8. And now let's look at our conduct in verses 9 through 11. Uh, and if we understand our command, uh, it should affect our conduct toward others. Notice in verse 9, oh, go, go back to First John. It says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So darkness brings blindness, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. So those who don't believe, they're blinded already because they're under the God of this world. They are deceived. They're into what's called um, entertainments and amusements, right? They, they choose not to think. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians today is they bring that worldliness into their lifestyle, into their relationship, and everybody knows that. If you're, if you're uh, let's say you had boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, and then you entered into a marriage, but you brought all those qualities of your boyfriend, girlfriend that you had over there, and you, you brought that into your new relationship, it's going to ruin your relationship, isn't it? You got to start a whole fresh. You got to start anew. And and uh, and what I'm trying to say is, the world wants entertainment. The world doesn't want to think. But as believers, we're called to think. We're called to ponder. We're called to seek out the Lord, and we'll be found by Him. Right? We're called to study the Word of God. Be a Berean. Acts chapter seventeen eleven. We're called to to put this thing to work. Right? When thoughts enter our mind that shouldn't be there, what do we do? We close it down. Right? We constantly are, are in a battle. We're in a war and we're, we're taking our thoughts captive. We're taking it to where it ought to be and not allowing it to drift wherever it wants to be. In Disney World, right? <laughs> Out in there in another world. We, we gotta keep our minds focused because, guys, are we living in the last days? Yeah, we're living in the last days. How are we ought to be living if we're in the last days, right? I mean, think about it. If we're not in the last days and we know that there's like 500 years yet to come, well, then by all means, live the life however you want to live. Vanity, worldly, whatever, do your thing. We got plenty of time, right? But guys, we're in the last hour. And we ought to be living as if we're in the, it's urgence, right? We have that, we gotta have that urgency in seeking the Lord and that passion and desiring the Lord. If that means turning off the TV, if that means looking at your children or looking at your spouse and talking to them face to face, put down the telephone or the cell phone, <laughs> telephone. What's that? <laughs> How'd that come out? Right? You, you know what I mean? It's time to actually start living the way the Lord's called us to live. And so we see this teaching, by the way, in light and darkness, right? That's what the Lord's putting, pointing out to us. The question is, where are you standing? Are you standing in the light or are you standing in darkness? It's going to be obvious to those around you. Your coworkers, they're going to be feeling free to be worldly around you if you're just like the world. But if you're a believer... 
they're going to be convicted to come around you and be open about whatever around you, right? Do you notice the difference around you? Are you in light or are you in darkness? And, and so it's easy to see if we love others like ourselves, um, but have you been abiding in him? If you don't, it should affect the way you treat others, right? Your conduct speaks loudly. The things you do speak volumes. And so God has called you to abide in him through your actions, right? Through your conduct. Do you, do you hate someone? Well, watch out because hatred will blind your eyes. It'll blind you. You're going to go off into the dark wall and keep hitting a wall and wonder, why am I hitting a wall? Well, do you hate somebody? Do you hate your brother? Right? Because that's scary. And these commands, they're for your own good. Right? I say that again. Don't hate your brother because, well, you're not even a Christian. If you read this, read this chapter again, you're not even a believer. You, you say that you know God, but by your actions and your lifestyle, you don't even know God. If you knew God, God would be doing a work through your life. That conviction would be in there, right? It'd be jam-packed where it'd be hard to sin. Isn't it hard, right? It is hard, and it should be hard because the Holy Spirit's in your life, and you're trying to bring in this old traditional lifestyle, and it's going to ruin your life. So in conclusion, I hope and I pray as John concludes here, this that we all come to a place of humility right and servanthood in light of others right not just for ourselves but for the lord's benefit and for others their benefit right and and so that when others see us they see christ in and through us right and that's really the goal right not that the others would die they're all wrong no they're lost. The world's lost. They need Christ, right? And yes, I want the rapture to happen like ASAP, right? <laughs> right now, Lord, please. But there's a part of me that's broken. And why is God waiting? Because he loves them just as much as he loves you. And he's waiting that they might be redeemed as well. You know, we got to have, Lord, what breaks your heart? That's what I want to be broken for, right? What, what makes the Lord dance and sing and rejoice? That's what I want to sing, dance, and rejoice. What, what is the Lord into? That's what I want to be into, right? So not that we're perfect. It's just that we may not sin, right? But when we do, when we fall short of God's glory, of perfection, know this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is our propitiation, right? And when we understand our conduct toward others, guys, we're going to be blessed, right? As, as you, a transformation is going to happen. In fact, I know I was just closing, but let me just read Romans chapter 12 to you really quick. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Guys, this is a sacrifice, right? It's hard. You got to die. That's why it's hard. And then it won't be hard because you're dead. But a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen, church? And he's going to go on talking about servanthood in chapter 12 there and serving the Lord through the gifts God does and the things, he, the calling he wants to do in your life. Let's stand and let's, let's pray, guys. Oh, Lord, I'm so excited, Father, to, to uh, just to know you. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you are able to do a work 
in your own church, Lord, in, in this church. And we just thank you for the work that you've done and that you are doing and that you're going to do. And I ask, Lord, for those, uh, our family members, Lord, those uh, who you put on our hearts to do the message, Lord. We pray for their salvation. We pray for the, the co-workers around us, Lord, that you would reach them through reaching us, that you would use us, Lord, uh, in this dark world, Lord, to be a light, to shine, Lord, to abstain from the things that we need to abstain for, for, this, for your own sake, Lord, for the sake of the, those around us, that they might come to salvation. I pray that you would convict us, Father, of the sin that we're in, that you would reveal to us those things that, that are pulling us apart from that, that fellowship that you want to have with us. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in and through our lives, that you would enable us, that you would, uh, Lord, glorify yourself in us. I thank you for all the work that you do, Lord. Break us, Lord. Um, crush us, Lord. There's nothing left of us. <laughs> Lord, I pray that there would be nothing but you in us. I pray that you would shine bright, Lord, and, and uh, we just love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.